welcome to the sixth of our Real Estate Bite Size webinar series. The last 24 months have seen an acceleration in the number of government consultations for real estate taxes and an increase in changes to legislation being brought forward. As ever, changes to the real estate tax landscape are intimately connected with politics and policy objectives. In these rather unprecedented times, the spotlight continues to focus on our buildings, who is incentivized to acquire them and invest in them, who benefits financially from them, and how and what share of that ends up in the public purse. Today, I'm joined by my real estate tax colleague, Amy Hutchinson, and we're focusing on taxes associated with a tenant undertaking landlord works at a commercial office building. Amy, firstly, thank you for joining me today. Um, secondly, let me briefly introduce our case study that's going to be the basis of our discussion. We are considering the position where a landlord grants a tenant a lease of existing office space. That office space is in need of modernization and returning to a cat A condition so that it's ready to receive the tenant's own fit out works. Now, ordinarily, the landlord would undertake those works. However, in this case, and as is increasingly the case in the market, the landlord agrees with the tenant that the tenant will carry out the works on its behalf in return for a contribution to the works. It's a simple case study, but there are quite a few points that we could come that we could cover to come out of it, aren't there? Yeah, that's right. So there are five key tax points that would immediately come to mind, which need to be thought about from the outset. So firstly, the VAT treatment of the works, essentially whether VAT is chargeable and who needs to account for it. Secondly, whether or not there's any risk of the landlord's option to tax being disapplied, assuming it's opted to tax the building. Thirdly, whether the parties need to operate the construction industry scheme. Fourthly, whether the more recent VAT reverse charge applies. And then finally, who can claim what capital allowances on the contribution? Now, there are obviously other taxes that will need to be considered, like corporation tax, for example, but these aren't as relevant for negotiating the documents. Well, perhaps if we start with the VAT treatment, so we're assuming for these purposes that the landlord has elected to charge the building to tax. The point here is around the supply of services, I think, that the tenant is making to the landlord in carrying out those works. Yeah, that's correct. So in this scenario, the tenant is carrying out works that would normally be the landlord's responsibility. So it's doing something for the landlord in exchange for the money. It's effectively acting as the landlord's contractor. And this means that the tenant must charge VAT on the services it provides and issue a VAT invoice. And the landlord needs to pay an additional 20% in respect of that on the amount of the contribution. Now, this is different to the scenario where the tenant carries out its own fit out works, as there's no exchange there. So where the landlord pays a contribution for the tenant's fit out, this is not exchanged in exchange for something in return. And so this is outside the scope of that. And then linked to that, although a very different issue, is the second point I mentioned which is that there are some very complicated anti-avoidance rules, which if they apply, can disapply the landlord's option to tax. Now, unless the landlord and tenant are connected, these rules only need to be considered firstly, if the tenant carries on business activities at the premises, which are less than 80% taxable. So think banks, insurance companies, some financial services firms. And secondly, the tenant is what's known as financing works that are effectively the landlord's responsibility. And financing in this context can include carrying out the works themselves, which is why we need to think about these rules in this scenario. And that's in contrast to when the tenant just carries out its own fit out. 
Yeah, it can be quite a fiddly point. So it's definitely one to consider with the landlord's advisors early on, um, particularly as I, I think the consequences can be quite severe if the option is disapplied. Yeah, that's right. So potentially the landlord could be faced with having to repay past input tax, tax that's recovered, which can obviously be substantial if the landlord has recently undertaken substantial refurbishment works. But I think key point here is for the landlord to consider the identity of its tenant and as you say raise this early on with its advisors to make sure it doesn't become an issue. Yeah so if we move away from VAT and disapplication of the option to tax for a moment I mean when we scoped out this session Amy I know we said that any one of these topics actually could be a webinar in and of themselves but as a real estate lawyer I feel there's far more readily available information on those two points we've just covered than there are for example on the CIS or the new VAT reverse charge so perhaps we can move on to those what I might call some more juicier topics. <laughs> yeah definitely so Let's start with the construction industry scheme, the, the CIS. And the CIS was introduced to try and combat tax avoidance in the construction industry. And the general idea is that instead of relying on the person carrying out the construction works to account for their own tax, the person paying for the construction works to be done is required to account for such tax HMRC, unless the person you're paying can show that they're registered to be paid without that deduction. So in simple terms, assuming all the other conditions are met, if you were carrying out some works for me, instead of paying you, say, £100,000 to do some works for me, giving you the £100,000 and you paying tax on that, I would pay you £70,000 and withhold the £30,000 and pay that to HMRC. I see. So it's effectively a set of anti-avoidance measures. Yeah, that's exactly it. So historically, I think HMRC would say that the construction sector has seen its fair share of tax avoidance. And that's what makes a case study as seemingly simple as this become quite complicated because HMRC views construction undertaken by the tenant for the landlord in exactly the same way as any other construction contract. So all the same anti-avoidance rules apply. And the revenue are constantly looking for new ways to ensure compliance in this sector. And we'll, we'll see this in a minute with the new VAT reverse charge too. Which makes sense, but of course it does lead to an additional administrative burden on the landlord and presumably potentially a cash flow issue for the tenant. Yeah, exactly. So in our example, if the landlord's a contractor under the scheme because they've spent more than £3 million in the last 12 months on the construction works, then they are required to operate the CIS in respect of the contribution and must withhold up to 30% of the cost unless the tenant is registered for gross payment as a subcontractor. And again, this is different if the tenant were just carrying out its own fit out, because an inducement from the landlord in respect of those works is actually exempt from the CIS. But you can imagine you're not going to be particularly pleased as a tenant if you're expecting to receive £100,000 from the landlord and you only end up with £70,000. I should say that the amounts deducted can count as effectively advanced payments towards the subcontractor's tax and national insurance liability if those apply to the tenant. So it might be a cash flow issue rather than an actual cost, but it still needs to be considered from the outset so that the tenant can register under the scheme in good time. Amy, you mentioned earlier the VAT reverse charge. I don't know if we can discuss that briefly now, as I know it's also related to CIS. Um, could you take us through what that is? Yeah, of course. So when it applies, the VAT reverse charge requires the customer rather than the supplier to account for VAT. So in this case, the landlord would pay HMRC the VAT instead of the tenant. 
And again, this is designed to combat tax avoidance of VAT by making it somebody else's responsibility to account for the tax. I see. Um, but why do we need to think about it then in this context? Well, it only applies to construction services. And the general intention is that it applies to supplies that are reported under the CIS. So that's going to include situations like this one, where the tenant is carrying out construction works for the landlord. And luckily, there are a few exceptions that are relevant. So firstly, where the supply isn't required to be report, reported under the CIS. Secondly, if you're an end user, so people that use the services for their own purposes rather than on supply them. Or thirdly, if you're what's known as an intermediary supplier and certain other circumstances apply, which I won't go into now. But the key point here for a landlord to consider is if they don't want the reverse charge to apply, they need to confirm that they are an end user in writing to the tenant. It's an interesting new area of law, particularly as sometimes you might actually want to account for the VAT from a cash flow perspective. But my colleague John Woodle is actually doing a specific web webinar on this if it's an area of interest. Yeah, absolutely, it will be. Um, I mean, I wonder now if we just touch briefly on the other point you mentioned at the start, which also has had a recent change of law while, while we're on them, and, and that's the capital allowances and the new super deduction. Um, so briefly, we know capital allowances are a tax relief. They offset part of the cost of capital expenditure on certain qualifying assets against annual taxable income. Um, presumably then on that basis, if the landlord is effectively paying for the works, um, it will say it wants to keep the allowances that accrue to that expenditure. Yeah, so that would be the normal market position. However, you, you do need specific languages in the documentation between the landlord and tenant to determine which assets the landlord's contribution applies to, and then also obliging the tenant to help the landlord to claim those allowances. So again, it's another point to consider just upfront and make sure it's been properly addressed. And, and the new super deduction you mentioned allows an offset of up to 130% on the cost of expenditure on plant and machinery. So it's potentially really valuable. Definitely. Um, could you take us through exactly what the super deduction will apply to? Yeah, so it'll include all new plant and machinery which would otherwise qualify for the 18% main pool rate of written down allowances. So examples include include things like solar panels installed on the roof of a building, electrical vehicle charging points, refrigeration units, computer services, that kind of thing. Right, so it's sitting alongside the existing capital allowances regime, effectively trying to encourage expenditure on those new items. That's right, but only up until March 2023. And we know there's already quite a big impetus in the real estate sector to invest in upgrading items of plant machinery that go to energy efficiency, for example. So we're expecting the uptake on this to be quite strong. Absolutely. And when we go back to our case study, this is exactly the kind of works that a landlord might be taking the opportunity to do, actually. But on the flip side, the, the tenant act, you know, will ultimately be operating the building and they then might prefer to actually coordinate the works that get installed. So I wonder if on that basis there's any argument for the tenant to keep the benefit of the allowances. Yeah, I mean, as ever, it's a point of negotiation, really, but ordinarily the party bearing the cost would benefit from the relief rather than the party actually instructing and carrying out the works. And the tenant is actually often barred from claiming the allowances to the extent of the contribution, although you can have a debate about which items your contribution is put towards. So the landlord might want to apply its contribution to the most valuable items from a capital allowances perspective. But in a world where investment into the sustainability credentials of a building is now much more important, we might see 
more investment of this type and therefore may well see this point coming up more often. Definitely, which takes us back to the start of this, um, this session on how these taxes have to be understood in the commercial and political context in which they're brought forward. Amy, thank you very much for taking us through these points today. Uh, we do keep these sessions short and so we'll draw to a close now, but I know I found this extremely helpful. And as ever, if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with either of us to discuss these points or any other real estate related taxes, then our details are on the screen as they're, as they're showing now. So thank you very much once again. Thanks, Sarah.